This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Regenerative medicine has some amazing capabilities, and it has the potential to significantly change how we practice medicine. But it does face some challenges in educating both the medical community as well as the general public regarding its realistic capabilities. There are many unsubstantiated claims currently made by practitioners to the public regarding the benefits of regenerative medicine therapy. We'll discuss how the true current potential of regenerative medicine is conveyed to both clinicians and the public with Dr. Dennis Weigel, a thoracic surgeon and chair of the Division of General Thoracic Surgery at the Mayo Clinic. Dennis, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Daryl. It's great to be here with you. Well, you've got kind of a challenge in that there are a lot of practitioners out there uh, claiming all kinds of things that regenerative medicine can do. How do you deal with that in terms of educating not only our patients, but physicians and medical staff on what is actually able to be done with regenerative medicine? That's certainly one of the challenges in the space. I mean, not only do you have a very exciting scientific and clinical field with all kinds of really interesting activity happening to a volume and a, and a degree that's that's really difficult to keep track, and that's even for the stuff that's that's real. So layered on top of that, when you have some claims that are maybe not well substantiated or some things being done that are that are not really scientifically valid, it can make it very confusing both for patients and even for providers, even those with interest in regenerative medicine applications to stay on top of what's really real or, or even if not real, what is at least something that's got enough scientific validity that it makes sense to be asking questions around it, let's say in a clinical trial-based format versus what is more sketchy in terms of something that's maybe not real. And there's definitely challenges there for both patients and providers in trying to provide that information, but that was really one of the needs that were identified as part of the genesis for trying to run a service or a consult clinic like this uh, when it was still in its embryonic form on the back of a napkin somewhere. Yeah. So what you're referring to is a regenerative medicine consult service. Yeah. So that's an interesting way of educating not only the staff, but also our patients. Tell us about it. How was this developed and when was it developed? The original idea for this, actually at Mayo Clinic anyways, goes back a number of years. And really, Tim Nelson from Internal Medicine here in Rochester deserves most of the credit for really getting this off the ground and making it happen initially. And he very quickly realized the need through his work, both in working with induced pluripotent stem cells and trying to work towards clinical applications with those as a cellular product, and then particularly in the space of children with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, just that that information void and being able to make the connection for people with the right information and potentially studies or even real clinical applications that were available was a big void. And so he was the one really who started um, doing this work through the transplant center, initially just himself on a volunteer basis, and then with the help of a, of a coordinator, which was really the initial gestation of a regenerative medicine consult service, which has now grown into something that's um, more Mayo official with more people involved and something that has become much bigger 
bigger and more involved than what, what it was in its original form. Hmm. So who submits the consults? We've still tried to stay true to the idea of what Dr. Nielsen had, had set up initially, where really this is a service that could be accessed either by patients directly. So the idea was is that literally somebody could be calling a 1-800 number or clicking a button on a web page and be able to make that connection. But also importantly for providers, both internally within the Mayo Clinic system, but also outside for anybody that's got questions about anything related to regenerative medicine applications. That's interesting. So not only the clinical staff, but patients can submit requests and questions too. Yeah. So it's a little bit different than your traditional consult request form of uh, physician to physician referral. And and to me, I think that reflects one of the great needs that you touched on with one of your earlier questions. And that and that's one of education. You know, we get calls all the time from people who are really looking for answers for a specific disease problem that they may have. And more frequent ones that we get are certainly ones where there may not be traditional approaches or traditional approaches have not been successful for that individual person's problem. And they've read something or heard something on a podcast and and they want to know and understand more about what might be doable and applicable to their unique situation. Hmm. So how often do consults come through? How, how frequent are they? Yeah, I mean, there, there's some ebbs and valleys to that, but on average, we're probably somewhere around six to 10 a week in terms of people sending in requests for information that sometimes it's just a simple couple of questions that um, is not that involved. Sometimes it's a real education session, sit down with one of our nurses that we have dedicated to the regenerative medicine consult service. Sometimes it goes beyond that in terms of people having questions that maybe we have some idea of where to go and, and get that information, but don't have it right off the, the tip of someone's tongue or handy. And it takes a little bit of, of time in order to make all the relevant connections. Or sometimes where it's not really clear, somebody might have a very complex problem or a series of problems. And that's where you know, utilizing both Drs. Hurt and Dr. Ganesh through the general internal medicine team who are linked with the clinic to sort of help with that triage and working through someone's problems has, has been incredibly valuable. So when a question comes in, a consultation request, are they referred out to those who may have specialty interests? Like if it's a cardiac problem, do you go to somebody with cardiac regenerative medicine capabilities or dermatology and so forth? Yeah, great question. So in the early days where there was nothing else, that's what we did. So, you know, Tim would get a question about lung-related problems, for example, and that's how I initially got involved and because he had sort of a list or a roster of, of people that he could reach out to with questions. But over the years, things got big enough and the number of requests coming in were frequent enough. It just wasn't really feasible to do it on an ad hoc way like that. So what we've tried to do is to try and, and really have some specialized training for our nursing team and our education people in regenerative medicine so that there's a lot of stuff that they're very knowledgeable about and can potentially answer a lot of questions that, for example, a patient might have who's just seeking guidance, but then also be in a position where we have a roster of specialists for that deeper level of knowledge for someone who's really searching for something specific and, and unique where our frontline might not have the answer directly. Mm -hmm. Have you seen some common misperceptions of what regenerative medicine can actually do either from the medical staff or from the public? <laughs> yeah, probably the, the best way to answer that is that um, I, I would see 
misconceptions really at both end of the spectrum. And, and, and we see that all the time where, you know, maybe on the one end of the spectrum, people thinking that the physicians or other treating doctors they've seen so far are somehow holding back on some secret sauce that's on the shelf that's got a regenerative application that if they can just have that, it will fix everything for them and life will be perfect, which is also a frequent misconception. But then also on the other side too, probably more from a provider standpoint than from a patient standpoint of people seeking information, but still a fair amount of skepticism as to what's real and, and what's really valid and what's out there and available. And, you know, again, trying to be in a position where we're armed with as much scientifically backed up fact as we can to try and help guide both patients and providers to make the connections for either the information they need or the evaluation they need, or in the situation where there really are either clinical trials or direct applications that are options for people, that, that we try and be the network hub, the connector for all of that so that people can get what they need. Sure. And it's a rapidly advancing field. So I suspect, you know, a question that may have been asked two years ago, which was just theory at the time, maybe can actually be put in practice today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it creates tremendous challenges in terms of even just staying up to date on all that information. And we rely very heavily on all the experts that we have associated with the clinic in order to be able to, to provide that information. But, but what you say is exactly right. What might have been the right answer even two months ago sometimes yeah. is no longer the right answer. And, and that's even a challenge for someone like myself who's interested in this space and plugged into a lot of what's going on. It's really reached an amount of overall information and activity that it's basically impossible for one person to completely have tabs on it across all diseases, across all organ spaces, across all different technologies. There's a lot of activity going on right now. I imagine it's almost impossible to find a textbook on regenerative medicine just because of the rapidly advancing knowledge that you are acquiring. Yeah. You know, in 2021, I think you can make the argument whether there's any role for textbooks anymore yeah. anyways, just because by, by definition, whatever's in print is probably already five years out of date. But exactly. you're absolutely right in the sense that this is an example of something that's moving at such light speed that even the latest high profile journal review article often by the time it hits print isn't even really <laughs> up to date anymore, which creates some challenges. Well, can you think of one of the more interesting consult requests you've received over the years? I mean, wow, there's a lot of them that are really interesting. Just to speak to one maybe that was related to the, the space that I work in, you know, a number of years ago, we had a, a patient with a complex problem where they had undergone surgery and were left with a, a non-healing airway or what's called a bronchopleural fistula is the fancy term for it. It basically just means that wherever the, the lung was removed and, and we uh, tried to seal the airway behind it, didn't seal properly and didn't heal effectively. And this poor woman from one corner of the country actually came to us because her husband was actually on the phone calling everyone you can think of the National Institutes of Health, the FDA, major medical centers, et cetera, because they had had such a frustrating time 
in trying to deal with her problem. And by the time she came to us, was very debilitated, had, I think, almost 30 surgical procedures in order to try and deal with, uh, with her problem. And we were in a position where a lot of the technology around laying mesenchymal stem cells on coded matrix graphs was just emerging as a technology and, and was showing some success in other organ systems and other disease types where that might be able to augment healing. And interestingly enough, because the patient's husband was actually calling the FDA originally, we actually had a fairly smooth pathway in terms of asking for compassionate use to do that as part of a definitive surgical procedure for this woman to get her airway fistula to, to heal. I've never seen the FDA respond that quickly or that promptly to a, to a request. So never underestimate the power of patient involvement in a situation yeah. in terms of moving things along. And although it, it's still impossible for us to tell, you know, was there something that we did surgically or something in her care or whatever that led to her problem finally being truly healed? Was it really, you know, some magical issue related to the stem cell coded graft? Was that really the main difference? It's impossible to tell. But what we did involving a stem cell coded matrix graft as part of her repair procedure actually worked. And she was able to get off positive pressure ventilation. She was able to be in much better shape to be able to spend time with grandkids and everything. And just the, the amount of gratitude for what we were able to accomplish in that situation was just almost overwhelming in terms of the thanks from both the patient and her family members for what was able to be accomplished. Sure. Well, I can imagine in such a rapidly advancing field, it, it gives you a chance to be very creative <clears> with <throat> new ideas quickly. Yeah, it's, it makes it very exciting. Well, what about the most unusual consult? Do you remember any that are kind of off the wall? I mean, maybe some of the most off the wall ones I probably can't really say or comment, <laughs> comment publicly, but, but maybe if I can just twist your question around, certainly one of the more difficult ones for us is probably also one of the more frequent ones we get where someone has been told that either a traditional option is not going to work or they don't want to go down the road of a traditional option and they've got the website and all the contact information for a stem cell clinic and God knows where, who's more than happy to take their money to go and, and do a, a treatment that's maybe of questionable scientific nature. And then we're in a position of, of trying to help them work through that to provide the best information we can as to what the basis for that is. And, you know, without trying to be pushy and tell people they should or shouldn't do something, but try and guide in terms of really what is scientifically sound within a, a specific space related to that person's problem and try and at least have them armed with the best facts that they can. But that question is not uncommon. You know, I have this and I'm going to go get stem cells in Venezuela. What do you think? <laughs> and, and then we're left trying to answer that. I've read that you're also doing some type of educational outreach. Can you expand on that? Part of that is really just part of the marketing of the clinic and the service itself. And at some level, I almost hate that word because it sounds like you're selling something, but it's really just to get the word out there that this is a service that is there to help people. And I think certainly from what we've seen and the feedback we're hearing, there's definitely a, a need there and a, and a niche for a resource like that because it's not really easily available out there if you're really searching for um, scientifically sound information. For the unusual type of requests that we occasionally get, I'd, I'd probably just leave it at that in terms of <laughs> sharing examples with you. Well, I'm curious, this may not be part of what we're actually supposed to be talking about, but what's your involvement in regenerative medicine? What tasks do you do? 
So first of all, I just, I have an interest. So I'm an MD, PhD. I'm a clinical surgeon, but I also run a lab here at, uh, at Mayo Clinic and also run our clinical research group within thoracic surgery. So you know, I went into medicine fascinated by the idea that the clinical problems you'd be laying awake at night worrying about and thinking about were the ones that walked through the door in clinic or the ones that you were trying to design, whether it was procedures, approaches, technologies, et cetera, to, to be able to try and help people. So this is certainly an area with a number of scientific developments that have happened over the last decade plus that have really changed the idea of what was once science fiction to really more of an engineering problem in terms of how can we use specific molecular agents or specific cell types either to augment the body's own ability to be able to heal or can we even replace parts of damaged cells or damaged organ structures in a way that might have been unthinkable you know 25 years ago it was a great fantasy but the tools really weren't there to be able to do it whereas now they are and so the issue of how do you put them together for the specific niches of unique diseases and unique organ systems in order to sort through all the work that needs to be done to figure out what's really going to help people or not and what's really real and what really works that's part of my fascination with it. And, and I see real potential. I mean, are we going to be living in a day when really you can get a new organ off the shelf and, and the whole idea of, you know, waiting lists for transplant and, and issues like that are really going to be completely negated? I don't know, but I certainly have optimism that our ability to be able to bring more than just individual cell types, but really be able to bring tissues and potentially even whole organs together to be able to treat people is no longer something in the realm of science fiction. There, there's real potential for that to be something that becomes real. Yeah, it's it's going to be amazing in just what the next five years brings with regenerative medicine. It's got such potential. Well, let's conclude by asking you to kind of summarize our discussion, maybe give two or three key points which illustrate the education you're providing through the consultations in the uh, regenerative medicine program. Yeah. I think, first of all, just trying to be available and provide the service, you know, no matter what the request is, no matter how off the wall or where it comes from, to try and be available to be able to answer questions for people, I, I think has been one of the guiding principles for the service. Secondly, one of the more important things is to really try and understand what really has true scientific basis behind it, because that's where I think a lot of what's happening in the regenerative medicine space runs afoul, where with people making claims that really aren't scientifically based. So to be in a position where we can provide that sound information for people, and also in, in many situations, try and draw a line between what really does have a scientific basis for it versus what goes beyond that line, I think is one of the major challenges with the information that we're, we're trying to pass on, but also one of the key roles that we can play in, in order to effectively help people with questions and issues around this. And then I think the third thing is just to, to try and stay current on that certainly requires a lot of help. So the level of expertise throughout the whole clinic, you know, the place continues to amaze me. You know, it's, and it's almost daily. You find out about someone doing something that you hadn't heard before who's one of your colleagues and, and to try and just keep tabs on that so that we have a network of expertise that both we can tap into for answering questions 
questions, but also, you know, where we can potentially share information across people maybe who otherwise weren't connected and be able to be that network hub, that connector within regenerative medicine in terms of what's happening that's clinically applicable is how we've tried to, uh, to focus. And it's so important to have, give patients a resource that they can go to, that they can trust because uh, there's so many unfounded claims out there regarding regenerative medicine therapies. And boy, if you believe everything that's on the internet, uh, you all can do a whole bunch of stuff that I don't think you can actually do yet. But uh, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. We've been discussing the education of the medical community as well as the general public regarding the true potential of current regenerative medicine therapies with Dr. Dennis Weigel, a thoracic surgeon at the Mayo Clinic. Dennis, thank you so much for sharing this information with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And it was uh, great to get a chance to chat today. Yeah. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.